start in verse 13. A little lengthy reading, but I want, to, I want you to see the, the context of everything that's happening. Now, maybe you've already noticed Luke 24 is the last chapter of the book of Luke. And so Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected. Jesus in his grace, he sticks around on earth um, in order to go to his disciples to, to fortify their faith as we're gonna see and to reveal himself as, uh, as their savior and the king of the world. All right, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going, that's two disciples. They're on their way um, to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, a mighty indeed and, and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they did said, but I'm sorry, but um, they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In our focal passage, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther and they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while they talked while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was, was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of, the, of, the, of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power, with power from on high. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that teaches us and proclaims your son to us. Your word that as we've already discussed, we've already sung about that saves sinners your son who came to save sinners like us, to redeem us. He is the redeemer of Israel that is proclaimed to the nations because he is their redeemer as well. Father in heaven, I pray that that same spirit that Jesus said was promised to his disciples would come and abide, that he would empower my preaching, that he would empower our hearing, that he would make us present, to be present with you in this moment, to hear and to glean your word, Lord. Lord, may our hearts be stirred in this moment. Lord, would you do what only you can do in saving of souls even today? Draw us closer to your side, Jesus. May we love you and may we love you through your word all the more. In your name we pray, amen. So the Bible that um, maybe you hold in your hand or the Bible that's in front of you or the Bible that's on your phone app, it is a it is a book that is um, actually 66 individual books that make up one major book. Two major sections are found in that, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is made up of 39 books, the New Testament, 26 books. It's made up of multiple, multiple genres. What I mean by a genre is it's just like a, a little literary type. Like there's genres of music, right? Not a show of hands, but how many of you like uh, rock and roll music? right? Like some of us raise our hands, right? How many of you like uh, pop music? We won't judge you, right? Some of you in here maybe like big bands music. Some of you may like jazz. Some of you may like swing. Some of you may like, uh, you know, all of these different genres of music. Some of you may in here, you may like modern country. Now we do judge you because modern country isn't a genre. It's a travesty. That's what modern country is. But some of you may like that and that's okay. And in the same way that there's different genres of music, there's different literary genres and the Bible contains different literary genres. There's historical narrative and there's wisdom, uh, uh, there's wisdom literature and there's prophecies and there's all of these different types coming together. It was written by 40 different authors who wrote on three different continents wrote in two major languages, but some of, it, of which a third, the Aramaic, is also introduced. It's written over the course of 1,500 years. The Bible has 31,102 verses, 1,663 commands. There are some 3,237 different characters 
There's 37 different people in the Bible named Zechariah. I mean, I'm sorry, 31 different Zacharias in the Bible. Yet in all of these commands, in all of these historical accounts, in all of these prophecies, in all of these poems, in all of these proverbs, in all of these parables, in every one of the epistles, there's really only one story being told. It's all about the birth of a baby, a very special baby who would be born in a manger in a small remote town called Bethlehem who would come to redeem his people. Every character, every genealogy, every command, all points to him. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says, every story throughout the Bible, they all whisper his name. That the Bible is like an intricate woven tapestry. So with a tapestry, you use different colored threads and different textured yarn, but they all come together. They're sewn together as to make one picture and in the same way, the Bible is sewn together like that. If you pull, as uh, Stephen Lawson says, you, you pull a verse in, in the book of Genesis and a page over in Revelation crinkles. That's how the Bible works. The Bible is sewn together and it makes one picture. It's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of a redeemer who comes to save his people, to redeem his people, a lamb who was sacrificed to save his people. And that's what Jesus is instructing his disciples in Luke 24. As I've already said, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected from the tomb. He's remained on the earth to instruct and to commission his disciples. And as he reveals himself to his disciples, he's revealing his significance throughout the Old Testament, their Bible at the time. Notice what he said in verse number 27. He said, and beginning with Moses. Now Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch, Penta five. The first five books of the Bible were written. They were revealed by Moses. And he says, he begins with Moses. And so what Jesus said is he began in Genesis, worked his way through the first five books of the Bible and all of the prophets, he says, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Later on, as he met with all of the disciples in a, in a room in Jerusalem, then in verse uh, 44, he says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, it must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Pentateuch teaches us of our need for Jesus. The wisdom, literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they sing to Jesus. Their songs are songs about Jesus. They lament our brokenness apart from Jesus and they rejoice at Jesus' coming. The wisdom literature, it teaches us the wisdom of Jesus. The major prophets like Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they're all pointing to Jesus. The minor prophets like Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Malachi, that's the Italian prophet. No, I'm joking, it's Malachi. Zephaniah, those prophets, they're all, guess what they're doing? They're all pointing to and expecting and longing for Jesus to come. That the entire Bible is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's Jesus concealed. In the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. Tommy Nelson said, in the Old Testament, what we have is we have the anticipation of Christ, the anticipation of his coming. In the gospels, we have the manifestation of Christ. He's here with us, among us. As John writes, he's been tabernacled among us. 
In Acts, we have the proclamation of Christ. In the epistles, we have the explanation of Christ and his coming. And in Revelation, we have, and where we are today, where we're waiting is for the consummation when Christ returns. But it is all about Jesus. Every page, every line, every verse, every command, every story is about Jesus. And we're spending a year, 2020, right here, discovering, learning, rehearsing the storyline of the Bible, the grand narrative of redemption, the redemption of the people of God, um, how God is unfolding his story. But look at how he's folding, unfolding his story. He's unfolding his story in, in a real place, in real time, using real people. He's unfolding his story in a place of make-believe. This isn't a story about Narnia. This isn't about Mordor. This isn't about a place taking place a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's not how God is unfolding his story. He's unfolding it in real places, in real countries, real cities, happening through real historical people with real lives and real genealogies and real rulers and verifiable historical events. We'll be talking about those things. But listen, here's the goal. The goal is not just information. The goal is not just information. Now listen, I want us to learn. I want us to learn these things. What I've been saying is I, I want, so whenever I say, hey, take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel, you have an understanding because of what we've done in 2020. So when I say, hey, take out your, book, your Bibles and open up with Daniel in 2024, Lord willing, you know, we're still here. Christ hasn't returned yet. If he tarries, and in 2024, when we preach through the book of Daniel, that you understand because of what we've done in 2020, those of you that are here, you can understand where Daniel fits into the storyline of the Bible. Okay, that's post-exile. That's post The people have been exiled. That's why Nebuchadnezzar's in the story. That's why Daniel's faithfulness is a huge deal. That's why he's being commanded. Like, I want you to understand those things, but more than just laying a foundation of information, what we're really after is we're after transformation. I want us to be transformed by the Jesus that this Bible is all about. And that's what's taking place in this text. That's what's happening in Luke 24 is we're seeing a transformation. It's not just information Jesus is giving, but we see a transformation taking place. The disciples, they were ignorant of what was happening. They were unaware of the real storyline. They, they were aware of the events. They understood that Jesus had been offered up by the Jewish leaders, that he'd been crucified, that he'd been dead, that he'd even been in a tomb. They were aware of those things, but they were unaware of God's plan. And as they're departing from Jerusalem, they're leaving out of there kind of sad and, and rejected and, and dejected, kind of like the Patriots fans left Gillette Stadium yes, last night. Wondering if their hero would ever return again. You know, you understand that kind of, that's what's happening here. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're sad. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And I love the irony in this is they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. Isn't that neat how, how that worked out? And so they're telling Jesus and they're saying, we thought Jesus was the one. We thought the Jesus of the Nazareth was the, the one, our only hope, the one who would redeem Israel. And their ignorance of God's plan had led them to despair. They were aware of the events, but they were ignorant of the significance and the meaning and the personal implication of the events that were taking place. 
They were aware of the stories and they were aware of the prophecies. These were men that grew up in Jewish tradition. They were probably forced to memorize those first five books of the Bible. Think about that, it's huge. From Genesis all the way to, to Numbers, they'd memorized that. So they were aware of the events, but they were unaware of their meaning. And many of us in this room, you're aware of the events of the Bible. No show of hands, but some of you have heard about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Father Abraham having many sons and many sons having Father Abraham. You're aware of that. You've heard about a hairy guy selling his birthright for some stew. You've heard about Jesus, Joseph and his coat of many colors. You've heard about the slavery in Egypt, a voice coming from a burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea, Joshua fitting the battle at Jericho. I never understood why it was fitting instead of fighting, but nevertheless, Joshua fitting the battle of Jericho. David and Goliath, the man being swallowed by a giant fish. You may be aware of those stories, but you may be ignorant. You may be unaware of how you fit into that story. How that's, those stories connect with your stories and sync up with your story as you both, all of us together, serve the same mighty God. The stories don't just serve as individual fragmented stories. The interpretive key to understanding the Bible isn't discerning the virtue or the life lesson in each story. It's not that we're called to be brave like Moses or to be patient like Job or to be courageous like David. That's not why those stories are being told. What the stories are being told so that we might be saved by Jesus. That's why the stories are being told. They're all painting, woven together, making one picture. And that picture is a picture of redemption. That for some of you in 2020, you're going to get your mind around the storyline of the Bible, the big picture of the Bible, and everything is going to start making sense. It's like some of you, like the, the old game that we used to play, Tetris, where all the pieces are coming down and they're all falling in. And some of you are going to get all the pieces in the right place and all of a sudden, boom, like, don't look at me like I'm crazy. Like some of you can look at me like I'm crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Boom. And some of you is going to have like moments where it's like, boom, oh, I understand what's happening here. And not just understanding again in the Bible, but understanding how this affects your life, how it intersects with your life, that your life will start making sense. Listen, I can tell you this, there's nothing better for your life, for your real life than you understanding the storyline of the Bible, you understanding what God is doing throughout the pages of scripture. There's nothing better for your marriage. There's nothing better for your understanding of self, your sense of self-worth, your purpose in life than you knowing the story and you being able to place yourself in the story. So what it needed most in our lives in 2020 is not me teaching you 10 steps to a great marriage or six steps to financial freedom or 14 steps to a better you, none of those things will be as beneficial to you right now where you sit than you understanding the 10,000 steps that Jesus has taken to come and to save you. That's what's most important and that's what's most needed in your life. Nothing. In fact, what we see in this text is we see the three effects to knowing the story of the Bible. Like, what's the goal in all of this? Is where I want to set it up. What's the goal in all of this? Well, these three things, at least these three things that I want to accomplish, hopefully week in and week out. 
The first thing that we see, because it's happening to these disciples as Jesus unrolls a scroll and tells them about um, himself and how he's been prophesied and talking about how all the stories and all the characters and all the events point to him, these three things happen. First of all is their faith is fortified. And that's my prayer for you is that your faith would be fortified. That's where this focal passage begins. It begins with the faltering faith of the disciples. These men who, um, at least the Cleopas and the other disciple is unnamed. Uh, we don't know how much time they spent with Jesus, but they're recognized as disciples. So they spent some time with Jesus. Maybe they spent all of, their, all of Jesus's earthly ministry has been spent um, they've spent that all of Jesus' earthly ministry with him. I still don't think I got that right, did I? You know what I'm saying, right? All right, you got, you found, like maybe they've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus open blind eyes. They've seen Jesus heal the lame. They've seen all of these miracles that Jesus has performed and yet they don't yet quite understand. Yet what you see happening on the road to, to Emmaus is they're, they're sad, they're, they're in despair. Their hopes have been dashed upon the rocks of Jesus's crucifixion. They feel hopeless. Look at what Jesus said to them in verse number 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He starts off with, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Gosh, write me right there. That's me, foolish and slow to believe. But can I say this, that nothing strengthens personally, just sharing my story, nothing strengthens my faith in God, my faith in Christ, like seeing how this Bible is sewn together. That I know whenever I study it and read it and see it in context and understand the storyline of it, that, that I see something that, that couldn't happen by accident. When I understand that, again, it's taking place on several different continents, 40 different people, all of this 1,500 years, that I understand that like man can't produce this. I mean, put the the most intelligent people in a room, put the most creative minds in a room and none of them would write something as connected and cohesive as what we hold here in, the, in our hands. None of them can do it, let alone isolate them over 1500 years, have 40 different people all come together to tell the same story. And even if you could think of a story and be like, well, I don't know, Lord of the Rings sure seems like it's all woven together. Yeah, that's right. It's one guy writing it. Well, what about Star Wars? I mean, we've seen all of the 14 Star Wars that have been written and there's several guys writing that. Yes, that's true. And yet I would say like, it's not all interconnected and cohesive. Certainly you understand and believe that even those of you Star Wars heads in here. And yet in every one of those movies and every one of those stories, there's also a storyteller. There's also a director calling the shots. And that's what we even see here as you read the Bible. It points us, as we look horizontally, it points us upward vertically to know that there is one who is writing the story, calling the shots, directing the whole show. It leads me to believe in Jesus, but not only does it lead me to help me and fortify my faith so that I may believe in Jesus, it also helps me to, be, to believe Jesus. See, those are two different things. 
To believe in Christ is one thing and that's what God wants. He wants us to believe in Jesus, but not just to believe in Jesus. He wants us to believe him, to take him at his word. Like we sing that, oh, to trust him. Oh, just to take him at his word, to, to, to believe him and to trust him. Not just to trust in him, but also to trust him with my life. And the Bible reveals God to us. As the story is being told, it's not being told just as characters and people, but it's being told as a revelation of the very character of God, the attributes of God, the heart of God, the will of God, the mind of God. All of those things are being told through this story that we're understanding, that we're coming to know God and to know what he is like. What we have even in this story is we have one verse that's the undercurrent of the entire storyline of the Bible, a faithful God coming to a faithless people. That's what we see here. Jesus, a faithful God coming to his disciples who are faithless. Kind of reminds me even of of the game Jenga. Talked about Tetris. Now we'll talk about Jenga. It's the opposite of Tetris. It's where you start with the block. How many of you understand the, the, the game of Jenga? Every Christmas, we try to introduce a new game to our to our kids um, over Christmas break. And so I remember a few years ago, I think my son Grayson was eight years old and we introduced the game of Jenga to him. And man, that mug would get, we wiggle and move all of the pieces out and it would get so unsteady and he'd get so excited. I think he was more excited about watching it fall over, right? On me, especially on my turn than anything else. And for some of you, the the Bible's working together, kind of like Jenga to put all of the pieces in place when it comes to the character and nature and attributes of God. But listen, some of you, you're already missing blocks out of that. Some of you, when it comes to God and you think about God, that some of you are missing some of the pieces of God's attributes. Some of you are missing the the justice of God. So maybe you've been abused in your life and you uh, you look at your abuser and you think, when will justice ever come? And you're missing justice from that. And you don't, you don't, you, you've yet to recognize that vengeance is the Lord's and there's coming a day of judgment for every human being. Maybe it won't come here through the court system, but there's coming a day when the all-seeing God, the all-knowing God who saw that when that horrible thing happened to you and his justice will, will come. And But maybe your justice is missing. You think God's not just. He must be aloof or maybe God doesn't care. Some of you may be missing the, the mercy or the grace of God. And so you think you gotta work for your salvation. Some of you are, are missing those pieces. And just like in the game of Jenga, when those pieces are making, are, are, are all missing, like it is so vulnerable to, vulnerable to be pushed over, to be toppled over. And that's what the enemy does in your life. He comes because you don't have a complete picture. You don't have a complete structure of the character and nature and heart of God. It's missing pieces in there and the enemy comes and he knows right where to press and he presses in and your picture of God is always constantly getting toppled over. I want you to see as we read the story and hear about a faithful God who never does any wrong, who's just and gracious and merciful and beautiful and all-knowing and all of those things that he is. I want to, you to put all of those pieces together to to strengthen your foundation of who God is so that you come to trust in him. It fortifies our faith, drives us to to trust in him, but also to trust him in our lives. So whenever real things happen in our lives, we trust him in those times. Number one, it fortifies our faith. Number two, it inflames our devotion. I've never, um, 
I've never really had the desire to get a tattoo. I know some of you have tattoos. And again, hey, this is judgment-free zone. That's up to you. I just don't like paying people to inflict pain on me, right? That's, some of you, I, I don't get it, but you do. But some of you may have verses tattooed. If there was a verse maybe that I would think about getting tattooed, it may be this one. Luke 24, 32, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Gosh, that's what happened to me. I discovered Christ and in his infinite mercy and grace, he saved me and I found his word. It made my heart burn. Every time I opened it and read it, as we read scriptures and we see this faithful God, we rejoice. That's what they're getting at. Did not our hearts burn within us? We rejoice and we come to love him and we worship him. The Bible's filled with songs of praise where people spontaneously burst out in song. Moses and Miriam, Joshua, Baroque, the whole nation of Israel sing around a place called Beer. That's true. Like some of you men now, now I'm wondering, where's that in the Bible? Well, I'm not going to tell you where it's in the Bible. You got to find it. But there's a city and the city's name is Beer. And when the children of Israel get to Beer, they sing a song of the greatness and glory of God. There's your challenge. You'll get there um, in March, probably. I got you till March, right? Then you have the Psalms and the books of prayers and songs. And they teach us to pray and they teach us to sing and they teach us to worship. They teach us to long for Christ's return. Gosh, I just got a feeling in 2020, we're gonna need to be reminded that this place is not our home. I think we're gonna need to be reminded that the kings and kingdoms, they're gonna come and go, but this king never fades. This kingdom is an eternal kingdom to which you and I, as the people of God, where we belong. And we, we can come together and we can sing regardless of who is running for president or who is president, who is not president. We can come together and we can sing and we can worship. That's what I want. I want the scriptures to be true to us and the storyline of the Bible to be so true that it inflames our devotion and drives us to sing information that transforms our minds inflames our hearts, informs our wills, changes our behavior, fuels our worship, and drives us to mission, which is the last thing. I want our time together in the storyline of the Bible. I want it to drive us to the mission of Christ. What Christ has come to do is to redeem people and take those redeemed and to send them out to the nations, to the world. And maybe the nations isn't just Honduras. Maybe the nations is your neighbor is yet to hear Christ, your coworkers you work for, and, or I mean work with. And then again, maybe it is to be a missionary overseas. Look at in verse number 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So for, to what end? So that repentance so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations. What I want for us in 2020 is I want us to know the story. 
I want us to participate in the story, to know your place in the story. And here is your place. You're a sinner who need to be saved. You were in bondage to sin and you needed to be redeemed. That is true of all of humanity. You were on the outside of God's kingdom. You were on the outside of God's family. And God, by his grace, he has invited you in. And more than just inviting you in, he has sent his son to purchase you, to save you, to redeem you, to set you free, to give his life as a ransom, as Jesus even said of his own life, for many. I want you to participate in the story, not just as spectators of the story, but I want you to, to, to understand that when it's talking about those on the outside, you say, that's me. When it talks about God's judgment coming and all of the unrighteous being perished with Noah and a flood, you think, God, apart from your grace, that's me on the outside. And you have by your grace invited me in and placed me in. Just as you placed Noah and his family into the ark, you placed me into Christ. Just as you instructed the children of Israel to put a sacrificial lamb above their doorsteps, Jesus, you are the sacrificial lamb. And as judgment came, the judgment angel, the death angel passed over those who had applied the blood and I apply the blood of you over my life. I want you to participate in the story. As the story unfolds, I want you to realize that it's talking about you. It's a story where you are in it. I want you to know the story. I want you to participate in the story. But thirdly, I want you to tell the story. We're called to be proclaimers who proclaim the story. God's story of redemption is fulfilled as people repent and receive Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. We are those who have received the message, those who have repented, and then we become proclaimers. That really there are only two sets of people throughout. Like we're gonna be looking at this and we're going to see this all the way. For those of you that have already started in your Bible reading program, you've already seen it in the Bible. There's two bloodlines that are happening throughout the Bible. Those on the inside, those who are righteous, those who love the Lord, and those who do not, those who reject, those who rebel. Cain and Abel, they rebel. I'm sorry, uh, Adam and Eve, they rebel. Then there's Cain. And then there's Seth, the righteous. There's over and over again, that is the storyline being told. And the same thing is true. There are those of us in the room who have received Christ. There are those of us who have rejected him. There are those of us who long to be washed by him. And there are those of us who, again, we rebel, we reject. There are those of us who want to love him, worship him, know him, walk in obedience to him. And there are those who reject, who say like, Adam and Eve, thanks, but no thanks. I'll save myself. Who are you in the story? There are receivers who become proclaimers and then there are rejectors. That's it. And who are you in the story? And today you have opportunity. Maybe you say, I've rejected him in the past, but I don't reject him anymore. That's the Lord working. That's you understanding that, hey, my story intersects with his story and now I can come in. Yes, that's the beauty of the gospel. Again, the most important thing that you need to know isn't on how many steps do I need to take towards Jesus is the 10,000 steps Jesus has taken toward you to save you, to redeem you, to purchase you, and to call you his own. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have done to save us, Lord. 
Father, we just pray, Lord, that, um, Lord, I know for me, this is something that I have been impressed upon my heart to lead our church through this, Lord. And we just pray that um, you would just fill us and you would bless us, Lord, as we spend our time studying this, as we spend 2020 laying this foundation, Lord. We just pray that time and time again, as we read these stories, if we see them unfolding, that we would see ourselves in them. And most of all, that we would see you, Lord. God, would you reveal who you are? Thank you, Lord, in your infinite grace. You have not left it up to our own make-believe or even our own intellect to try to guess at who you are, guess what you are like. But Lord, you've revealed it to us here on the pages of Scripture. Lord, I pray that for us. I pray, Lord, that this year that our faith would be fortified. There's some in the room whose faith is going to be tested this year. And I pray, Lord, that as Satan desires to sift them as wheat, that you would protect them. You would hold up their faith. You would keep them. So we sing that you would hold them fast. I pray that, Lord, all of the enemy's flaming darts that he throws would be quenched by that shield of faith, that you would strengthen it. Lord, I pray for us that our hearts would be inflamed with worship toward you. That as we see this and we see your great love and we see your grace, we see your mercy, we see your justice, we see your truth. Lord, as we see all of this throughout scriptures, that it would cause us to sing and to worship to walk obediently before you, to give all of our lives, to lay all of our lives, lay them down as a sacrifice to you, Lord. Everything that we have and all that we are, that we would lay it down at your feet. And Lord, that we would be like prophet Isaiah. When he saw you in your glory, that we would say, Lord, here am I, send me. Pray, Lord, that it would drive us to mission that we would have the opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity in 2020 to tell your story time and time again, to invite those on the outside in and that you would do what only you could do in the resurrecting the dead, the spiritually dead and giving them new life, Lord. Lord, we pray for more salvations. We pray for more baptism. We pray for more growth, Lord, in 2020 from our time being spent in your word. Lord, we look to you, Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit, Lord. Your spirit be at work in our own hearts, rooting out negative uh, emotions and unbelief that we hold and all of those things, Lord. Where there's apathy in our hearts, Lord, hard-heartedness, cold affections, may they grow warm as we understand your great love for us being told throughout this story. And Lord, in the places where we're lazy and sharing the mission, sharing the story and preaching the gospel, that may we be diligent, Lord. For your glory, we pray this. You are glorious and we glorify you. In your name we pray, amen.